If you've ever gotten glasses before, you go into the doctor's office and, and you, you walk in thinking that you can see things pretty well, right? You, 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 you don't know any different. And then they start to adjust the things and all of a sudden things just come into focus and become more clear. And when you go back to what you thought was looking well, you realize that you really didn't see as well as you thought. And, and the, that adjustment, that change in focus, helps bring things into greater clarity. This is the, the experience that I often have as I dive into Scripture, as I study the teachings of Jesus. There are, there are things about Christianity that I thought that I knew pretty well, things about Jesus that I thought I understood pretty clearly, and yet as I go back to Scripture, as I continue to mature in my faith, I realize that things that I saw come into greater and greater focus, and that's a lot of what this past series, as we've been studying the life of Jesus, has done for me. It's helped me to refocus and to see even more clearly what I thought that I knew. Uh, I asked a question last week that I want to continue and explore a little bit this week, and the question was, when it comes to investments, what if we have it all backwards? What if we've been thinking about it all wrong? You see, our culture, which is very individualistic, which is very material, materialistic, which is very consumeristic, tells us that we should invest for us. That when we invest money, we should invest because we want to have a high rate of return so that we can get something back from it. And yet, as we go through the scriptures, as we look at Jesus' teachings, specifically when it comes to money, we see that like he does with so many other things, he, he readjusts our focus. In some senses, he helps us understand that we were actually seeing things upside down. And he helps us to set them right. And at first, that, that setting of right can be kind of uncomfortable. When we come to Jesus' teaching and he, and he sort of takes what we think we know and flips it upside down, at first, that can really be kind of uncomfortable because he can challenge the way that we think about life, the way that we look about the world, especially the way that our culture and our, and our environment around us tempts us and encourages us to think. And so as we dive into this, we realize that maybe, maybe we've got it all backwards, Last week, we took a look at what I think is one of the most difficult parables in Scripture. The parable, it's called different things, the parable of the dishonest steward or the dishonest manager. Uh, And we saw how Jesus is getting at there that how we use our possessions, how we steward what's been entrusted to us, has long-term effects and that we should start to change the way that we think about stewardship, the way that we think about management, the way that we think about our investments, the way that we invest our time, the way that we invest our money, the way that we invest our energy the way that we invest our prayers and our talents and our abilities. So we're going to pick up uh, where we left off last week. Don't worry if you, if you weren't here last week. Uh, it'll, this is a, a new message. It'll stand on its own. But if you want to go back and listen to that parable, you can do so on our website, which you can find on the back of your bulletin. But we're going to pick up with uh, what Jesus said at the very end of this parable, his application, and then we're going to move forward with some of his teaching. So Luke chapter 16, verse 9 is where we're going to start. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, I will, uh, I'll have the text up here on the, on the screen. So this is how Jesus closed out the parable with his application last week. He said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And when we look at that, we, we sort of scratch our heads a little bit and go, huh? We, we sort of say, wait a second, what? 
Because at first glance, it sort of seems like Jesus is saying that you can sort of buy your way into heaven. You know, use worldly wealth to make friends, and then, you know, when it all runs out, then, uh, you know, you'll be welcomed into heaven. Now, that's not quite what Jesus is getting at. As I told you last week, most scholars are in agreement that Jesus here is referring to the spiritual practice of almsgiving, of, of giving to those who are in need, of giving to the poor and the needy, the widows and the orphans, groups of people who have been vulnerable and marginalized and oppressed. In other words, what he's saying is that take worldly wealth, you take worldly wealth and use it to help your fellow human beings, use it to invest in the people that I love, that I came to serve, Jesus tells us. Use worldly wealth in this way, and in doing so, you're really investing in the longest part of your life, which is eternity. Jesus is saying that as you, as you give, as you serve those in need, as you invest in people who have needs, you may not see a financial return in this life, right? As we give to people who really have no ability to give back to us, you may not see the kind of financial return that you would get by, say, investing in the stock market or, or investing in a startup, but you, you'll be securing for yourself, Jesus says, eternal dwellings as you serve those who are in need. So we're going to dive into this a little bit deeper. Jesus takes this concept and he, he brings it deeper in these next few verses. We're going to see his interpretation and application of this principle. So Jesus goes on to say this. He goes on to say, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Now this, this saying reads like a, a parable. Uh, and a parable is, is basically, it's a, it's a statement of general truth. Uh, a parable is a statement of general truth. It's not absolute truth. It's not applicable in every single situation. But it's if people who observe the world and observe the way that the world works would come up with these statements, these phrases that were easy to remember that would communicate general truth. And so we can sort of relate with this principle as general truth. We know that if somebody is generally trustworthy in small matters, that they're generally trustworthy in larger matters as well. And we know that if we can't trust somebody with something small, well, then we may not be able to trust them with something big either. This is a a generally true principle when it comes to life. The problem with this verse is it's a great verse. I love this verse. The problem is this verse can often be taken out of its context. And one of the things that I want to get you to understand as we study scriptures, that when it comes to interpreting the Bible... Context is key. Context is key. This is a generally true parable, but a lot of times this verse has been misused. I, I've seen it misused to uh, tell people like, well, if you, you know, unless you clean your room, you'll never be able to you know, get good grades or succeed in life. And sometimes this is one of those verses that parents can sort of use to sort of manipulate their children into doing what they want to do. Um, maybe you know, if you were a child who grew up in a Christian home, this was used to manipulate you to clean your room or to do something else. Not that, you know, not that that's an improper application, but it can be taken out of context. Um, and we probably know some exceptions to this rule, right? We probably know some people that we would trust with a little, but that we wouldn't trust with a lot. You can probably think of somebody in your life that maybe you would let borrow a shovel, but you wouldn't let borrow your car. Um, and maybe there are some people that, you know, we know that they're really good in big areas, but they're not very good in small areas. You know, some people who are really good at running companies aren't great at cleaning, uh, you know, cleaning and organizing their home or their office. So this, you know, this isn't used, this shouldn't be used like as a clobber verse. What it does, when we understand it in context though, we're going to understand that what Jesus is talking about, faithfulness in little things, when Jesus mentions little things, we should ask ourselves, well, what is the little thing 
that Jesus is talking about. What does it mean to be faithful in little, and what does it mean to be faithful in much? What are these things that he's referring to? Which is a great question. I'm really glad you asked. Jesus explains in the next verse. Uh, So he goes on to say, So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And so we see some parallels in these verses. Jesus is saying that being faithful in little things is the same as being faithful with worldly wealth is the same as being faithful with someone else's property. And then the, the, the much that we're supposed to be faithful in is true riches and is also property of our own. And so we're going to dive into this a little bit, and I'm going to help explain this. One of the things, though, that I want us to notice right off the bat is that Jesus draws a very clear line of distinction between worldly wealth and true riches, right? Worldly wealth is not the same as true riches in the economy of the kingdom of God. In the economy of the kingdom of God, there is something more valuable than money, than worldly wealth. There are things that are more valuable. And when we back this up to what Jesus talked about securing eternal dwellings, we're talking about true riches that will last not only for this life, but through all of eternity, right? We know that nothing in our bank account is going is to come with us when we pass on from this life. You know, you've heard the saying, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Right? You, you, you can't bring with you what you have in this world. So Jesus is saying there's something more, there's something true, there's something that transcends worldly wealth. And so what Jesus is saying is how we use, how we use and invest and steward our worldly wealth is directly related to the kinds of true riches that we'll be entrusted with for all of eternity. And then Jesus goes on to say, being trustworthy with someone else's property uh, will lead to getting property of our own. And so in this parallel, we see that someone else's property is related to worldly wealth. So that leads me to this point. I want to have a little discussion about the difference between ownership and stewardship. The difference between ownership and stewardship. And this is an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude of the heart, but it's a perspective that makes a huge difference. And I want you to think about the difference in your own life. Do you treat something differently that you own versus something that someone else has given to you, entrusted to you to steward for a period of time? Do you treat things differently that you own? Most of us do. Most of us treat things that we own as if they belong to us and we can do with them as we please, by and so that we have complete control over them. Whereas if somebody gives us something into our stewardship, we have, we have this feeling of responsibility towards the person who has lent it to us. For example, uh, if, if I lend you my car, you will probably drive it a little bit more carefully than you would drive your own, I would hope, right? Because it's, it's not yours. Um, so that this idea between ownership and stewardship. And when we look at what Jesus and the other writers of Scripture tell us about monetary wealth and physical possessions... The biblical picture of wealth and possessions is that of stewardship and not that of ownership. We live in a culture that really values personal property, private property, and ownership. But when we look at Scripture, we see that really God says everything on the earth belongs to Him. Everything on the earth belongs to Him, and then He has entrusted us to steward it and to use it, and He's going to call us to account for our stewardship of it. 
I want to read to you a quote from one of the great Christian thinkers in history. His name is Thomas Aquinas. Here's what he had to say about possessions and property. He said, Man ought to possess external things, not as his own, but as common, so that to wit he is ready to communicate or share them to others in their need. In other words, one of the greatest Christian thinkers in history, Thomas Aquinas, tells us that when it comes to our possessions, when it comes to our money, we really shouldn't think of them as our own. We should think about them as on loan from God. That God has loaned us the riches that we have and the possessions that we have, and then he has asked us to steward those and to use them not only for our own benefit, but to benefit our fellow human beings. That, that God has entrusted us as stewards then to use that to, to bless the rest of his children and humanity. This is an, I'm going to read you another quote from a gentleman named William Cavanaugh. He wrote this book called Being Consumed, Economics and Christian Desire. I've been reading this lately. It's a fantastic book. Uh, if you're into things like uh, economics and you're wondering, well, what's the Christian perspective on economics? He does a really good job sort of unpacking and sort of showing us that, uh, you know, the different ways that the world tells us that we don't need to be caught in between uh, these two different competing ways, but that as Christians, we really need to shift our perspective altogether and think about how we can use our money, how we can have an economy that reflects Christian values. This is what he has to say. We should regard property as a gift from God. And get this, a gift that is only valid if we use it for the benefit of others. Have you thought about that before in terms of your savings account, in terms of your investments and your vehicles and your land and your possessions, that, that what you have really isn't your own even though you went and you bought it and the receipt is in your name or the deed is in your name, that really it's just on loan to you from God and that it's a gift from God, but it's a gift that's only valid so long as you're using it for the benefit of others? How does that apply to the car you drive or to the house that you live in or to uh, your, your bank account or your food? Are you, are you using what God has given you as a gift only for yourself or are you using it in service to your fellow human beings? This is what Jesus means when he talks about being faithful in that which is least. You see, sometimes we, we talk about that verse to emphasize personal responsibility, that being faithful in that which is least is only about personal responsibility. It's about setting a budget so that you can be uh, responsible with your finances. And, and that's good, but that's not the, the end, that's not the telos, that's not the goal of the verse. See, personal responsibility is not an end in and of itself. Personal responsibility is supposed to help us become better stewards and managers of God's wealth. In other words, the point of the budget isn't so that we can benefit from it. The point of the budget is so that we can con take control of our finances, whether it's a financial budget or a schedule, which is a time budget, so that we can take control of our resources and then use those and invest them in the kingdom. And this is a big deal to Jesus, and he tells us why in the next verse. He says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he becomes very, very clear, and he says you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. One of the two is going to have a greater devotion in your life. You're going to be more devoted to one than the other. You cannot equally serve God and money. And so the question that I would like us to ask ourselves is this. Who is my master really? 
who is my master really? Because we can say one thing, right? We know the, we know the Sunday school answer to the question, right? We can, we can get the test question right on an essay. But the question becomes, who is my master really? This is a question that I need to ask myself and that you need to ask yourself when it comes to our money and our resources. And the way that we can evaluate this is not necessarily by what we say, by what we do. When I look at my spending habits, am I investing more in myself than I am in the kingdom of God? Am I investing more in my own desires than I am in helping those who are in need? Where is the majority of my money and my time and my energy going? Is it going to the kingdom? Is it going to myself? This is one of the areas where I think that American and Western Christianity has sort of gotten off track over the last couple thousand years where, you know, the, the early Christians, their faith encapsulated every aspect of their life. They lived together, they met together, you know, almost daily. They ate together, they pooled their resources to meet the needs within their community of believers as well as the greater community at large. This was an entire way of life. And and somehow, over the past couple thousand years, we sort of drifted away to think that Christianity is something that we can do, you know, in our private time. It's something that we can do once, maybe twice a week. And, you know, if we just show up and put our butt in the seat at church, you know, then we're good. And really, the, the the, the view that Jesus portrayed was one that encapsulated our whole life, that what we do with our money and what we do with our time and what we do with our bodies and what we do with our energy and how we interact with our neighbors, all of these things are supposed to be uh, wrapped up in following Jesus. Following Jesus shouldn't be, oh, I went to church this week, I'm good, I prayed the sinner's prayer, I've got fire insurance, you know, I'm, I'm safe. Uh, from hell later on. That was never supposed to be the intention of Christianity. And as we study Jesus' teaching, we see that Jesus and the New Testament writers talk about money more often than they talk about just about anything else. Money and and what we do with our bodies are two of the things that that the New Testament writers talk about all the time because they knew the, the seductive power of wealth and the things that it can bring. Jesus knew that we can be tempted to serve our money more than we can be tempted to serve God. And that's why he talks so much about it. So Luke, after Jesus uh, gets done saying this, Luke gives us an insight into who was there in the audience. And uh, there in the audience were some of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the group of religious leaders who uh, were very keen in observing the law, and they wanted to force others to observe not only the law, but extra rules. But not only that, Luke tells us that the Pharisees loved money. He says the Pharisees who loved money heard all this, and were sneering at Jesus. Now here's just a little interesting tidbit. In the Greek, the word sneering literally means to turn up their nose. It literally means... So the the Pharisees, who loved money, heard Jesus saying this, and they turned up their nose at Jesus. They sneered at him. They mocked him. Uh, But Jesus knew this, and he said to them, he said the following, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others... But God knows your hearts. And that's why I want us to honestly ask this question, who is my master really? Because I can probably justify to you, I can probably, I'm pretty good at justifying things. I can probably justify in others' eyes, but God really knows my heart. And so I don't want you to answer publicly necessarily. I want you to really ask yourself this week, who is my master really? And then Jesus goes on to say something that should really just get our attention. I've got it in yellow here. What people value highly 
is what? Detestable. Detestable in God's sight. That's a word that means an abomination. An abomination. What people value highly is an abomination in God's sight. This is one of the things that we've talked about over and over again in this series as we look at what it means to follow Jesus. He takes what we think we know, he takes what culture tells us is right about the world, and he flips it upside down, which is really, he makes it right side up again. It's been upside down all along. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Detestable. Now think about that. What are the kinds of things that we value, that our culture values in the society? What do we value? Throw out some answers. Money. Our culture values money, right? The, we, we look up to people who are really good at making money, who have big bank accounts and big houses and expensive cars and lots of land. We value wealth, don't we? What else do we value? Fame. We value fame. Uh, we value influence and power. We look up to people who are able to make a big platform for themselves, who have lots of followers on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Um, you know, all of these different things. What else do we value as a culture? Position. All of these things. God tells us, Jesus tells us, what people value is detestable in God's sight. In other words, God doesn't give a rip how much you have in the bank account if you're not using that to serve other people. God doesn't give a rip how famous you are if you're not using that to help invest in the kingdom. God doesn't care how high you are if you're, you know, president of the United States or president of a corporation or president of your homeowners association if you're not using that to serve the people that Jesus came to serve. And to love. In other words, we've been given these things as a trust. So I put this in my notes. Being financially faithful in God's economy is not about accumulation of wealth, nor is it about the protection of wealth, but it's about the investment of wealth into the kingdom of God. If you come back next week, we're going to look at another one of Jesus' parables where he talks about you know, somebody who they, they spent their effort trying to protect their wealth. Sometimes we think of stewardship as not spending anything. right? Sometimes we think of stewardship as protecting what we have. But what we're going to see next week is that simply protecting what we have or protecting what we've accumulation, that's actually poor stewardship in the economy of God. God has not entrusted us with wealth and riches. And if you're in this room, if you're living in America, you have been entrusted with with more worldly wealth than most anybody else in the history of the world. There's only a a small percentage of people who have ever been richer than Americans are today. So most of us fall into the category of being worldly wealthy. If you've got a few dollars in a bank account, if you've got more than one set of clothes to wear, if you've got food in the refrigerator, if you've got a house to live in, you're pretty high up there on the, on the wealthy scheme. So am I. I live in America. I've got some money in the bank account. I've got food in my fridge. I'm high up there on the wealthy scheme. And so if my entire goal is simply to protect the wealth that I have, I'm not being a good steward. Stewardship is not about protecting what we have. It's about wisely investing it and spending it for the good of the kingdom. It's about investing it in the good of others by by helping those who Jesus came to serve, which were the poor and the outcast and the needy and the widows and the orphans and all of these things. It goes hand in hand with the gospel. So I've got a couple of guiding questions for us to think about as we go throughout our week. First question is this. 
Do we work for money, or do we make money work for us and the kingdom of God? Who's our master? And you can, you can ask that by asking some questions. You know, are you, does, does financial questions, does that guide everything that you do? Or does investment in the kingdom of God? Second question, are we devoted to our money, or do we devote our money to the work of the kingdom? And the same is true, not just for our money, but that's specifically what Jesus is talking about here. He says, you cannot serve God and money. So, do you know what the greatest way to break the grasp of consumerism and materialism in our life is? You know what the greatest way to, to break the power of money is? Give it away. The greatest way to break the grip of greed in your life is to give it away. It's to give it away without any expectation of return. When you do that, you'll realize that it breaks the hold that it has over you. Now, if you think that I'm just trying to get you to, you know, that I'm one of those preachers who's just trying to get into your pockets and have you give to the church, I'm going to encourage you to give your money away. But if you think that's what I'm trying to do, don't give it here. If you really think I'm trying to just take your money, I'd encourage you to give it away somewhere else. Uh, But give it away. Invest it in the kingdom. Now, once you realize, once you get to know me, you'll realize that's not at all what I'm doing and that this church is doing good work. And then hopefully you'll share with us as well and the good work that we're doing. But I would rather have you give it away somewhere else than not give it at all because you think I'm trying to take your money. Okay? Jesus talks about this. He talks about the, the, the... seductive power of money and the things that it can bring. And so he says the way to break that seductive power, the way to break that hold that it has on us is to give it away, to invest it in the people and the things that he cares about, to serve the kingdom of God. So what if we have it all backwards? What if we've got it upside down? What if investment is not about what it can bring for us, but about how we can take what God has called us to steward and invest it in the kingdom of God. God is going to call us to account someday for the way that we used and stewarded what He entrusted us with. And when that day comes, I want you to be able to say, and I want us to be able to say as a church, we didn't just sit on it. We didn't just use it for ourselves. But God, we used it for what you gave it to us for. We invested it in your kingdom to reach the lost, to heal the sick, to clothe the naked. All of the things that Jesus says are so important in the kingdom of God. What are you invested in? Who is your master, really? Lord, we know that sometimes when we get set right side up, it can be uncomfortable. Sometimes we can get used to being upside down. We can get used to blurry vision and it can take a minute to adjust to the clarity that your truth provides. But Lord, we thank you for preserving these words of Jesus. We know that you have not asked us for these things because you need our money. God, you don't need our money. You have cattle on a thousand hills. You are the owner of everything anyway. But you've asked us these things because you care about our hearts. And you know that where our treasure is, our hearts are also. So, Father, for those of us who are doing so well at this, help us to do even better. For those of us who struggle with this, help us to to take that first step. To trust you enough, to trust that you will provide for us. Help us to to shift our perspective. To see the, the things that you've given us, not as our own, 
but as a trust, as a gift, as a stewardship that we can then use to serve our fellow human beings, to reach those who have never heard the good news of your son Jesus Christ, to reach those who uh, are in financial or spiritual or relational poverty, wherever they may be, that we can reach them where they are and help provide them with what they need and give them a glimpse of who you are as a loving Heavenly Father, a Father who loved us so much that you did not withhold your one and only Son from us, but you gave him up for us all. Father, you have given us so much. Help us to give back just a portion in return in whatever way it is that you call us to do that. Help us to invest, God, not in ourselves, but in your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.